Good morning and welcome to Sport and Life with Sam Kekovich and Leon Wegard. Sam, who would have thought over 50 editions? Well, Leon, uh, the naysayers, I remember initially said, well, you're a chance to get 15 only because you've got Leon Wegard with you. If you're <laughs> oh, solo, yeah. if you're solo, <laughs> you'd be flat out getting one. I said, why is that? Well, two reasons. A, you're totally bereft of any techni- technical clout. And secondly, you, you're bereft of any content. So I didn't think I'd get anywhere to move. <laughs> but, you well, know, Leon, it's, it's all in, you know, when you pick a side, it's all about delegation. And I've picked the winner. That's the main thing. Well, uh, <laughs> well, uh, the, real, the real winner about this program is Dan Jones, our producer, who came up with the idea during COVID because we couldn't travel to do the podcast as we normally do at the Prince of Wales, that wonderful hotel in Fitzroy Street. So yes. we're all working from home this morning. And his idea was to pluck out a few of the people we've had over the first 50 editions and uh, hear what they had to say. We've had some beauties, really, when you think about it. Oh, what a, what a pearler of an idea. We have had some enormous guests, uh, Leon. There's no, no doubt about it. And the listeners that we have got, they've obviously made, uh, made reference to that. You know, and as, as, the, uh, as our topic, as our name infers, life and sport, it encompasses the whole broad grammar of life in general. That's right. The S is for Sam and the L for Leon. Now we, that's uh, sport and life. Well, why don't we get going with this? And um, th- these are pretty well random. Uh, you know, out of plus uh, 50 plus guests, uh, we've, we haven't had a failing yet. They've been all terrific and, and range from, you know, we had Ian Cook the other day, that uh, that poor bloke that seems to be. The catering uh, giant out of Denver. Well, yeah, and he's, uh, you know, he's been put through the ringer, uh, but that'll uh, see itself out. We've had politicians, uh, but we've mainly had sports people, and uh, some of them have been characters. And, of course, Dougie Hawkins is no bigger character than that, the former Fritz, uh, Footscray champion. Well, he's larger than life, and uh, I remember vividly when the great man, uh, he broke the great man's record, Teddy Whitten, very in a very humble manner and... Uh, and uh, I've, I've known Doug for a long, long time and worked on the circuit with him and very entertaining. And uh, and I remember vividly the time when he trekked across to Fitzroy, Leon, your uh, stomping ground when you presided over that mighty club. And uh, by chance, he happened to get reported and listen to the aftermath of that. You got reported uh, for... <laughs> Oh, I don't know what the transgression was. Abusive language. Abusive language, okay. But the events that followed that particular report were very interesting and I thought no one has ever de- has ever put it across better than you. Just tell me the sequence of events that followed after your report. Well, I got reported keg against Richmond Leon and um, umpire made a bad decision. So anyway... On the Monday night, I was having a few beers with a good mate of mine who, who came in to be my character reference because we had to do a show that night out at the Hallam Hotel with, you know, Keke, the great Oscar Suave, Leon, you know yes, Oscar Suave. Yes. <laughs> that was a pretty Oscar silky Suave. night. <laughs> Walking the plank. <laughs> oh, that's right. Those old, those old chestnuts up now, I'm telling you, right? <laughs> so anyway, anyway, I'll take it's a, a black move tie, as a man. character <laughs> reference. I'll take a move in as a character reference. And anyway, the chairman back then, his name was Neil Busy, and yeah. Neil Busy was the chairman, and they called us in, and Ian Finlay was my advocate. 
fingers Finlay and anyway I looked down at the head table and said excuse me are you busy <laughs> said that's right and then Murph said in that case we'll come back in four weeks and have a chat <laughs> so anyway so anyway cut it short Kegger and Leon I, I got fined a thousand dollars so I'm fine guilty uh, that thousand bucks uh, the next morning I was on radio we had some talk back I might have been a few but Leon I'm not sure but we had talk back and Fitzroy people rang and said Doug you've been fantastic for our club you've been helping the young kids out this umpire was wrong we're going to pay for your thousand buck fine and then Footscray people rang and said Dougie you're being terrific we're going to rally around and pay for your fine as well so anyway I'd cash and checks come to the Fitzroy footy club I'd cash and checks come to the radio station I'd cash come to my joint and back of smash guess what I made nine and a half thousand dollar profit <laughs> what'd you do with it I gave Busy a thousand. I put three and a half in the phone account for a pup of horses. <laughs> and the rest I paid tax. You've got to pay tax. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yes, one, yeah. one of the characters there. <laughs> um, uh, there. There you go. Um, wonderful character. And uh, it was just wonderful having him on the program. And Sam, you had a jockey, I think, following up. I do indeed, Leon. Uh, and just on Doug Hawkins. What a genuine article he is, you know, the true Australian, a real true blue and uh, a champion of the people. And, of course, our next guy, if he had played footy, Leon, I guarantee you, he would have been the Doug Hawkins of the football world. And conversely, if Doug had been a jockey, which our next guest is, he would have been exactly the great Jimmy Cassidy. And, of course, he had us in, uh, in raptures, but one in particular was a story relating to the Melbourne Cup. Jimmy, uh, just quickly on that Kiwi Cup, you mentioned it was eleven to one. Why would you be interested in that? Jockeys don't, would, you know, jockeys don't normally associate themselves with odds. You're not allowed to bet. <laughs> no, well, jockeys aren't allowed to bet. But I thought I, I was being a little kiwi. I was only twenty, and I said to me boss, I was getting eighteen dollars a week at the time, kick, which is not a lot of money. You're flat buying a schooner. And uh, I said to me boss, I said, can I borrow two grand? He said, what for? I said, well, I'm not going to go that far and have not have a bet. So I was, I was staying at the Park Royal in Melbourne at St Kilda at the time. Park Royal, salubrious. Yes, I, I got a I got a taxi from the Park Royal to Flemington and back. 1983 cost me $1.74. I remember that good at school, but I worked out I had $1,900 and $98 left, so I continued to put that to win on Kiwi at 11 to 1. <laughs> now, uh, now I get your drift. <laughs> so when I got to the clock tower, I was trying to do, I was trying to do some. But Kiwi was coming quicker than my brain, so I took the win and then worked out I won $22,000. I said, forget about the cab, brother. I'm going home in the streets limo. <laughs> <laughs> there he is, Jim Cassidy. And, uh, well, I didn't know what a character he was. I, I had interviewed him before, but, oh, God, we got full load there. That was fantastic, Sam, wasn't it? Uh, he's compulsory, isn't he? Uh, you're addicted to him. You can listen to him all day. And he's got a million of those. Anyhow, uh, as we move on, <laughs> Leon, well, in the classics. Our next interview is with the doyen of uh, commentators. We talk about Dennis Cometti, uh, Bruce McAvaney. He's up there with all of those. Of course, is the great Ray Warren. And he tells an interesting story of uh, one day when he was in the police force, but he wasn't quite cut out for it. Here's what he had to say. Was there a defining moment in the force that really was the trigger for you to depart? 
Did the inspector one day said, yeah. Ray? Yeah, I, I, I know where you're going with this, Sam. Um, <laughs> you've, you've obviously read my book. Um, I do a lot of reading, Ray. still in the stores now. It's down to $5, so it's not, a, <laughs> it's not a dear book to buy now. But what happened, um, I went to the superior officer when I got the offer to go to Young in the radio business, and... Uh, uh, he said, uh, well, look, he said, let me think about it overnight. He said, come back and see me tomorrow. And I went back and he said, well, the facts are these, Warren. He said, uh, we sent you to a fatal accident. He said, you thought it was too gory. You didn't like the sight of blood. Uh, you went to break the news to the victim's family and you became more emotional than the family. Uh, he said, we put you on point duty. Uh, you, you created a four-car head-on collision. Uh, and he said, we asked to lock up a couple of illegal SP bookies. And uh, you said, do I have to? And I said, that's right. And he said, why? I said, oh, well, I, I owe them both a couple of quid each. I said, I can hardly lock them up, you know. <laughs> so he said, Warren, go with my blessing. He said, I hope you make a success out of whatever it is you're telling me you want to be. And that was it. I was gone. Ray Warren there with uh, Sam Kekovich on uh, Sport and Life. And we are going through... A selection of our 50-plus programs that we've put to air so far. Hope you're enjoying it. And, uh, Sam, the next, uh, well, <laughs> a, a little, little secret. Um, Sam and I always meet for a coffee before we uh, we go and, and do these podcasts. In fact, we're at the Prince of Wales having a drink. And the manager of coffee, it was at this time, and uh, the manager there is a Frenchman called Laurent. And uh, he asked us who we had on today, and I said, oh, Wally Lewis. He, oh, Wally Lewis, the guy that had the punch-up. What's all that about? Because I didn't know. So I uh, got around to asking Wally, uh, the famous Wally Lewis, of course, for those that don't know, probably the most innovative rugby league player of all time, and this is what he had to say. Now, Wally, we're, uh, we're doing this podcast from the uh, Prince of Wales Hotel in St Kilda, uh, wonderful hotel owned by the Ryan family, and um, uh, they have a manager here as a Frenchman called Laurent. And we were having a coffee before you came up here, and he said, "Oh, you've got Wally Lewis today." Ask him about the uh, stand-up he had with Benny Elias one day. Uh, he said they <laughs> threw punches at each other and didn't miss one for ten minutes. <laughs> Yeah, there were a few of those. I had a couple of run-ins with uh, with Benny Elias. Actually, there were a couple that weren't uh, quite fair and honest. But um, <laughs> on the on the footy field, uh, anything that uh, that that went by was uh, was deemed as as being legal. The one with Ben that I'm sure that he was talking about, it was at uh, Lang Park or Suncorp Stadium uh, in Brisbane, and uh, uh, there were a couple of cheap shots thrown. Um, and the one that I got on to Benny uh, right at the end uh, was the one where um, I basically uh, thought I'm doing it a bit tough here. My fitness is at uh, isn't at a supreme <laughs> level and gave the indication that the fight was all over he dropped his dupes and uh, as soon as I saw that I planted one straight on his nose <laughs> and, um, and, and it all kind of started again from there but um, uh, he was he was a wonderful player I used to hate playing against him because he was so skillful so talented but uh, in the fight department I think Ben was the first one to admit that, uh, that he wasn't good with the dukes at all that's that with Benny Elias I was there at the uh uh, that state of origin match, and that was reminiscent of one of the best stouches you'd ever see at the old great festival hall. But anyhow, our next guest uh, is one of the most colourful people in football. There's no doubt about him. Uh, he's on the footy show. He's a great raconteur. He's the most colourful uh, Billy Brownless. 
And of course, Billy uh, was never renowned for uh, putting his head in the in the kitchen, but on this occasion, he was compelled to have a, a little bit of a stoush with Gary Ablett. This is his recollection of it. Could he box at all, Billy? Well, he did love his boxing, and there's some great stories of him in Druin with the Ablett brothers, you know, all the, all the, all the Ablets, and they used to like a, a bit of a blue and things like that, and he was a very good boxer, and we used to have those sparring sessions back in the day, Kekka, and they were supposed to be good for your confidence. Well, let me tell you, mate, if you can't fight, they're no good for your confidence, but um, so what Gary would do, he'd line up three blokes, two minutes with him, two minutes with him, two minutes with him, and that's how he kept reasonably fit, and he loved it. You know, and believe it or not, I wasn't a fighter. I'm not a you know, not a lover. Actually, I'm not sure what I do on this in this planet. But but I come in early one day. He sees me. He says, "Billy, you want to have a spa?" I said, "Bloody ass, guys, that sounds all right." So I get the gear off and I'm lying in the spa. And he says, "No, you idiot, come here." So we have to put on the gloves. We put on the helmet. And it's two two-minute rounds. And I'm thinking, oh, well, this will be all right. It'll be over in four minutes, you know. And can he go? I had no idea how good he was. He's, he's doing everything. He's throwing jabs and punches and everything. So, anyway, the first round, ding, 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 the bell goes. And this is a true, true story because the late Philip Walsh was our boxing coach. And um, he had this thing dangle machine and it goes off after two minutes. So, I guess through two minutes, I've got two to go. I'm in the shower. I'm home. Second round starts and he starts waving around like Muhammad Ali and 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 I throw this left jab that hits him flush on the chin and drops him, right? No one's hardly ever, ever hit him and no one's ever, ever dropped him and here he is and lying in front of me. So I walk over, look over him and there's a bit of water there. He might have slipped to be honest. But anyway, he bounces up. Now he's ready to rock and roll, let me tell you. <laughs> he punched the living suitcase out of me. Uppercuts and hooks and bunny chops, whatever he could throw, he's throwing them. And thank God for Philip Walsh at the time, he jumps in and he saves me because I was in a bit of trouble. He, he, it was claret and everything coming out. And uh, he sends me off to the uh, change rooms and Gaz had come up, I reckon, half an hour later and apologised, but let me tell you, mate, um, he'd done some damage. He could go when he wanted to. Wow. <laughs> I think when Billy left out, he took a dive, Billy. But uh, our next guest is very interesting. Now, you would never associate our next guest with uh, etiquette and protocol. And would you believe he was in the company of royalty? In fact, the Queen. And this is Merv Hughes' as a recollection of this particular incident. One of the uh, first commitments uh, the Australians have, of course, is uh, going to Buckingham Palace. Now, were you acquainted with the protocols necessary to meet the Queen? <laughs> well, we, we didn't actually get to Buckingham Palace. So what, what happened when I was playing it, um, a, a few of the guys, I think, got the Buckingham Palace because the test match, the Lord's test match was over. But I think it was the third or fourth day of, of the Lord's test match, the, the Queen would come down and... Um, and meet the players at tea. So we'd line up and the, the Queen would come down and the entourage would come down and, um, you know, the Queen would go through and we're told what to say. 
Okay, so when the Queen addresses you, yes, ma'am, how are you, ma'am, whatever, uh, don't engage in conversation unless she talks to you. Um, put your hand out flat so you don't squeeze her hand. She puts your, her hand on your hand and, and all that. So it was, it was all very much... A bit like um, your first date. Oh, just reason, man. What, what you could, couldn't, couldn't do. And we're, we're sitting there and the Queen was going past. And I was sitting next to, I, I reckon it was Greg Campbell in 89, um, the Queen goes past and we're sort of sitting there in awe of, of the Queen. And behind the Queen, P- Prince Philip goes along and meets the players too. So we're all, all sort of sitting there and the Queen goes past past me to Greg Campbell and Prince Philip comes to me and I, I shake his hand and didn't say too much to him. And, and Greg Campbell's just watching the Queen and Prince Philip comes up and, <clears throat> and the, the bloke's sort of, uh, Mr. Campbell, and Greg, oh, you know, mate, I had no idea who he was. <laughs> he just sort of sat back and thought, yeah, that's just typical. <laughs> I think Dennis Lilly asked for an autograph. He, he did, did, didn't he? He did. Uh, well, that was the uh, the wonderful <laughs> Merv Hughes and, uh, uh, and uh, what a character. And, uh, well, he still is one of the great characters around the place and... Uh, and doesn't like a lot of uh, like like everybody in this business. Uh, they do a tremendous amount of charity work as well. And Sam, you're no exception to that. You do plenty of that, don't you? Ah, uh, Leon, you're good soft. That's the same. We don't need to thump our chest. We know who we are and what we do. But it's always nice to be in a position where you can do something for someone less fortunate, as 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 well as we'll put it. A, a guy that you were uh, that wouldn't. Be uh, resonate with a whole lot of Australians uh, down here in this part of the world is John Rebo, and that's a great pity because John Rebo, uh, he he's been a great uh, supporter of Victoria, even though he's from uh, places north. But he was um, he he's still on the major events uh, here, and uh, so he's the guy that, uh, along with his small committee or a small committee. Um, get all these big events that uh, Victoria and Melbourne is famous for. So he really does put in down here. But his record is amazing. He's an international rugby league player himself. He played for uh, – uh, he, he, uh, he started up the very successful franchise in Queensland, which is the first breakaway from New South Wales when he started the Broncos. And then, lo and behold, they, of course, their record's fantastic. Not going so well now, but uh, then he came down to Melbourne – and uh, started up as the original CEO of the Melbourne Storm. Wonderful bloke, and uh, uh, here's his recollection of how the storm got going. How did I end up in Melbourne was when we did Super League, I knew that Super League was not going to be a long-term thing for me, not to do something as controversial as that. It needed to settle down, get a new administration there, get going. And there's an old cliche that I learned from some good old guys that in business that a good time to negotiate your out is when you negotiate your in. So, and I, I think at the time Rupert probably didn't half realise what I was asking for when he said, would you run this for us? I said, look, I'd love to run this, but my tenure here is not going to be long term. What I'd love to do, because I've left the Broncos now, I can't, I don't want to go back. You leave somewhere you want to build and go somewhere else. I would love the opportunity to get involved in Melbourne. Um, would you be involved if we could do if uh, when Super League finishes? I think as a sports capital of Australia, Melbourne, I've always been fascinated with it. I'd love to put a team of people together and uh, I think they, they could run a very successful uh, rugby league team. So uh, we shook hands on that and that's basically was it. 
And then when it all finished, I said, look, we had an agreement. They said, yeah, we've got an agreement. And uh, during that period, they were fantastic to me. And I had eight years there and uh, uh, it was a really great experience for me. And I look now with the new team that's come on with with uh, Jerry Ryan and, and Matty Tripp and uh, Matty in his first year as, a, as president now or chairman uh, won a premiership so I'm really happy for those guys because they're, they're just A grade people, they're just great friends of mine and I just love the experience of still being involved in the club so that's sort of quick quick overview of how it, how it all unfolded. So Mur- Murdoch, uh, just about at your, your word, took on the Melbourne thing yep. with, with no sort of 58 page dossier or... No. It was, a hand, it was a handshake, and the handshake was this, that uh, what we'll do, you had the franchise that uh, when we sat, we sat down, you can have the, with the club. I had the management rights to the club. He owned 70%, and I owned 30%. He picked up all the, uh, all the expenses. So all the unders, he, he paid all the bills. So, uh, and there, the big picture there is, and people say, that's, that's crazy, no one's going to do that. But just understanding, and Rupert's not silly, he's, he would have done his homework to say, how do we get penetration into a, a city with four, four and a half million with a new code? This could be a cheap way to do it. And in balance, what he paid, you know, some years we'd lose two, three million, sometimes four million dollars. Um, it was as cheap as chips for what it delivered Big from picture. a TV, right? And, uh, and it's a bit like you say, the, 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 uh, the AFL, do you regret going to Brisbane, Sydney, Adelaide and Perth? They wouldn't be where they are today. There wouldn't be such a dominant factor without... You can't just look at Victoria all the time and say, this is all the VFL. It's the AFL now. It's the people's game in Australia. Um, and they've done that extremely well. So this was the, the toe in the water, I suppose, of going into, into somewhere that they don't play rugby league and have some success. Yeah, an amazing uh, man, John Rebo. Uh, you talk about a pioneer and a great visionary. Well, you heard it all there, and what a uh, what a what a uh, what an enterprise they embarked upon. You know, from that embryonic stage of a uh, of a little ball and venture into the biggest arena of them all, the Melbourne Storm, and what a brand. Well, Australia has had a uh, a glut of outstanding Australian sports people, and particularly characters of the game. And this uh, next guest is no exception. He, uh, he had it all. He was a complete package. Uh, the very laconic Doug Walters. And he recited one particular story. And in those days when they toured, the premier place after a game was the room of Alan McGilvray. Because of his uh, extra remuneration, he had the capacity to go to the liquor store and buy a more uh, expensive uh, brand of alcohol, which most of the club, most of the uh, players enjoyed but only a select few got the invitation. This is his uh, account of uh, proceedings. Now, I think there was a real harsh rule of thumb after a game that Chappelle would make everyone stay back and have a drink together. Was that right? Uh, yeah, not only after the game either. No, well, I'll get to that shortly. I'll get that shortly, yeah. But, uh, it was, yeah, pretty much. But certainly it was an after-game thing for everybody. Uh, but Ian Chappell, he, un- he understood cricketers pretty well. He understood cricket very well, and he understood cricketers just as well. Now, Doug, uh, in- Doug, uh, now I know what you're saying, but after that hour or so of togetherness and collegiality and mateship and fellowship, then you had this little click going, didn't you, that uh, 
used to find your way to Alan McGilvray's room with a couple of bottles of scotch in the wee small hours of the morning? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we when the bar shut and we were still a little bit thirsty, we always uh, thought, well, we knew where we get uh, a nightcap, and from uh, that was from Alan McGilvray. We knew he'd always have three or four bottles of scotch tucked away in his room. But there was only the privileged two or three. You were one of the anointed ones with Chapelli. Who were the other yeah, two or three? The, 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 when we first started, there would be about eight of us knocking on his door and when asking for a nightcap, and he said, not all of you. you. You get to bed, you get to bed, you can come in, you can come in. And there was only three or four of us at, at the most that ever got into my Gilbray's room. <laughs> well, there's a, uh, there is a character and a half, and um, he's another guy that's on the circuit, as you call it, Sam, and uh, he does a great job at those sports sites, and don't the public love him? Uh, there's no doubt. And, but the, the beautiful thing about Doug Walters, he is so laid back, you wouldn't know that Doug Walters is the only guy that doesn't know who Doug Walters is. Yes, he's swear right. blind. He's just he's so comfortable in a crowd over the drip tray having a chat with anybody. He doesn't yeah. uh, he doesn't differentiate one little bit. He's just a super super guy. He is now the Alan Border, one of the greatest batsmen we've ever produced in Australia. Uh, formerly from New South Wales, went to Queensland uh, and, of course, became a great Australian captain but was often really uh, got himself upset with things and uh, he didn't mind acknowledging that. Uh, he's called Captain Grumpy, but it brought him on down occasionally and here's one recollection that I guess he'll go to his grave having to remember. Uh, you tipped a tirade of invective and unbridled abuse one day in England <laughs> when you... What are you laughing at? I must be on the right track. Yeah, yes, I think yes, you, got yes. it, you went out very cheaply for four. I think it was the yeah. figure. You stormed yeah. in the room, just threw the bat. You you tore strips of anyone that was within a yard of you. You tipped <laughs> this bridle of abuse upon people, smashed the door. No, and then what happened? No way. No, yeah. that's, that is, that's not me. I denied that one. I thought you were going to go with the Craig McDermott one. No, and then you realised you're in the wrong dressing room. You're in the party oh, dressing room. Yes, yes, yes. So that, that, was, that was in Perth. That was in Perth against England uh, way right. back in the early 80s. I, I'd only ever been to Perth as a, as a visiting player. I had never played a test match there. So the, you've got the home rooms and the away rooms, and the two doors are right next to each other. And I'd only ever been in the away uh, room. Uh, but on this occasion, obviously playing for Australia, you're in the home room. So, of course, I, I get, get given out LBW to both of them, right, which he gives you a bit of a you know, send-off and it was a, it was a rubbish decision. Um, you know, missing leg too high, you know, all that sort of stuff. Oh, the usual so, ones, yes. Yeah, so I'm walking <laughs> off. I'm not, not happy, not happy, but I'm holding it together. Um, and as I go up the stairs, you know, I can feel the, the red mist start to rise, you know, because I, I felt like I had been done. But I just, uh, you know, had that sort of uh, haze, you know, haze across my face and uh, or across my eyes. And I just stormed into the rooms and threw my bat and I was cursing and swearing, carrot calling the palms, everything I could think of. And then I just, you have that ugly feeling that, hang on a minute, uh, this doesn't feel right. And I saw uh, David Bairstow and uh, the England, England manager, a few of their reserve guys, you know, they're all sort of cowering in the corner, thinking, look, who's this mad Australian? What's he doing? 
And it was very embarrassing having to crawl around looking for my gloves and bat and, and apologising at the same time. And then, my, then I copped it from my own teammates. How did you go there for, AB? Have you had a blue or something? And uh, I just had to tell them what I'd done, you know, and it was just, yeah, I, I couldn't and stick over that one. Well, there he is, Alan Border. And uh, before that, Johnny Rebo, Merv Hughes, uh, Billy Brownless, Wally Lewis, uh, Ray Warren. We had uh, Jimmy Cassidy. And Doug Hawkins, and um, well, I don't know uh, about you, Sam, but I'm, I'm quite proud of that little lineup there. And mind you, there's another 40, 44 of, or so more of them. Exactly, you're right, Leon. It's a wonderful compilation of uh, the who's who of Australian sport and uh, life in general. And uh, yeah, when we embarked on this, and I'm sure you'll attest to this, we had no idea of where it was heading or how it was going to pan out, but. You know, I've got to a stage where, you know, I look forward to it because you learn something every week and every every moment, uh, something about some of the truly great people that have made this country what it is today and why we're so proud of being Australian. Yeah, and the generosity of spirit of all these sports guys, you know, they don't mind giving themselves a bagging. In fact, if you look at the... Overall, most of them do give themselves a bagging when they, uh, when they get up and speak at a sports night or even on podcasts like ours. Um, but the people we have to thank uh, are Dan Jones, who puts it all together for us, and Jerry Ryan, whose idea it was uh, that we would get together and do this. So uh, it's been a wonderful journey, and let, uh, let's hope it continues. Indeed so. But you made a very valid point about uh, the one cornerstone that, uh, that, is the, uh, that is the denominator that encompasses all those great sporting, sporting people is self-deprecation. They never take themselves too seriously. They certainly take what they do seriously, but they don't take themselves too seriously. And I think that comes out in the character, and that's why they're so much admired uh, by the public in general. We're broadcasting this um, during the fourth lockdown here in Victoria, (laughs) Uh, and uh, we do feel for all those poor people that are locked up. There are reasons for it, I guess. You can either take that on the chin or have a go at it, whatever you like to do, but uh, it is what it is, which is, by the way, that's snuck into the lexicon, hasn't it? You, It is what it is. Everybody Everyone says, says it now. Everyone well, says anyway, it. Uh, so there it is in this case. It certainly is what it is, and uh, we're just going to behave ourselves. That's why we're doing this um, remotely, and we'll join you again hopefully next week uh, live with uh, a guest. We're going to have Jack Kennedy, I think, aren't we? Yes, the great Jack Kennedy, the great Collingwood stalwart, and of course the doyen of the Iron Ear profession. There's no, uh, there's no bigger name in that uh, medical profession than the great well, Jack Kennedy. Uh, ear, nose, and throat. But the other thing too about him, he served, you know, as an honorary doctor at St Vincent's for fifty years, and yeah. uh, we can talk to him about that. And the other thing, of course, he's uh, He's owned some wonderful racehorses. He's, I don't know how many Group 1s he won, but uh, plenty of them over the time. And he's still got a fair stable as well. We spoke to him just recently, a couple of days ago. We're talking about his equine uh, holdings. They're quite substantial still. And he's optimistic about the outcome of one of them. Uh, I just forget the name of it, but we'll find out next week. He's pretty keen to share it with the uh, public at large. But he'll be uh, compelling listening as well. Now, a shout-out for a mate of mine in Queensland. Uh, I don't know how many listeners we have in Queensland, but Michael Harrison rang me and said, where the hell can I get some of this print you talk about? 
So, um, uh, so um, uh, he went down the road. I gave, I gave him where to go, and he's uh, he's picked up half a dozen of the 2012 print. 2012. Yeah, how's he going? Well, he's on top of the world. Jerry Ryan, I can't get near the 12. Well, he's 16. Well, when I first went to Queensland years ago, <laughs> you know that place up there on the uh, Gold Coast that's uh, called the Forum, I think, or the Focus, one of the two. The fo- it, yeah, the Focus round, is called. Round, round building. Yeah. It was the first of the high-rise joints. Well, I it's went up there course. as a young Victorian, and uh, I think I, was, I had the, a very young family. This was 50 years ago, and my wife. And um, I said to the guy, he was a famous little guy, he used to run the restaurant in the basement of the, in the ground floor of that building, and I asked for a red wine. He said, oh, we don't have any red wine in Queensland. They didn't have <laughs> not one bottle. <laughs> so things have improved. I think it was all claret in Australia 50 years ago, Leon. Yeah, they didn't have just... that either. No, all they had was white wine. <laughs> white wine and bloody 4X. <laughs> and you know why they call it 4X? They can't smell no. beer. Uh, Uh, Sam, look forward to your company next week uh, Let's hope we can meet eye to eye, Leon This sophisticated weaponry has got me confused Thank God we've got Dan (laughs) with us Au revoir, have a great day Sport and Life with Sam Kakovich and Leon Wigard. 